May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast. This is episode 20. That's 2-0. People have stuck around for this long, and we haven't quit yet, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, my name is Jeremy Boyd. I'm here with Alex Klusterman. And uh, this evening, we've got a special guest. Uh, Tristan Inglis is actually on the mic. On the mic. We we only actually set the mic up for him because we wanted to uh, get the skinny. Last week, we mentioned how beautiful the studio was and that there was a dead animal's head hanging on the wall. Mm-hmm. I really do want to know, how do you get the meat out? So uh, you you tell us. How well, do you get the meat out? For those of you who are squeamish <laughs> listening, you should shut it off for two minutes. Uh, you know, you, you dig the uh, essentials out with a screwdriver Okay. after the head's lopped off, and then you you boil it for an insane amount of time. I think are I they, went through like 15 propane tanks. Wow. Are they? <laughs> is the meat and stuff like stuck to the bone pretty good? Like, Yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty lodged in there. It so you're just sort of getting process. the soft tissue out and then you're counting on the, the boiling to get rid of the tendon and all that stuff? Yeah, I think I did it wrong. I, the <laughs> smell of deer head cooking yeah, for weeks on end is not a pleasant no. thing. No. I mean, it looks like the end product worked out pretty yeah. well. Yeah, I've heard if you bury it in the ground, it works a lot better. Okay. I did not do that. This particular deer looked like he had some dental problems. <laughs> Hadn't been to the veterinarian in a while. So. <laughs> Correction. It's also a 12 point. Last week you said 10 points. Did I say so. 10? I, I, just, I just got to correct that. Okay. That's 12. No, 12 hey, no worries. Yeah. I'll let you back next week. <laughs> so the question is, did we just gain or lose listeners through that segment? <laughs> I don't know if you'd call that animal husbandry. No, that's definitely not animal husbandry. I ate the whole deer, so... Right, okay. It did not go to waste. Well, uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, We're going to do something a little different tonight to commemorate the 20th 20th episode. We've had uh, uh, some questions come up from listeners, and so we're going to actually address some listener questions tonight, do a little Q&A. And this is something I think we're probably going to continue to do in the future, whether it's you know maybe one or two a week, or if we just dedicate a whole show to it. Yeah. So if you have questions, uh, and you personally know Alex or I, just email us. Yep. If you don't personally know us, you can send questions to Jeremy at thedominionpodcast.com. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y at thedominionpodcast.com. Nice. And we'll, uh, we'll get to those. So uh, I think... When we read this email from this listener, I think we were both really encouraged. Super encouraged. Just to hear somebody really thinking through these things and to to hear somebody that we don't know who's actually thinking through along the same lines as us. But there was, you know, there's some concern we have um, with the situation the person is in. And we just want to hopefully be an encouragement tonight and uh, hopefully give some, some good counsel. So... Uh, I don't know how you want to do it. Do you want to read the email, or do we just want to go through some of the questions that were brought up? Yeah, let's just go question by question. I mean, I kind of broke it down. I don't know if you separated it on your notes. Yeah. Um, Really, just to fly over, these questions are related to probably a lot of people's experience in the last year, is that um, I am a, a member of a church, and our church has not taken the position I feel is the biblical position in this regard. You know, they haven't stayed open and they haven't continued meeting together and they've neglected that and, you know, a host of other things. And um, how should I respond in a godly way to this? And this is, this is um, 
I'm assuming as well from these things that these are otherwise godly capable leaders. So I mean this isn't this isn't the easy situation of someone who's just you're in a United Methodist yeah, church. Yeah, you know what I yeah. mean? It's like no, I, until this point, you know, they preach the word. Yeah. Um it's good teaching. They've given good counsel. Given good counsel. Yeah. And and just in the last year and a half, I've just totally bailed on this one. Uh so I just I they ask some really pointed questions that I think honestly a lot of people have thought to themselves. For sure. I mean, these are the questions we've been thinking through yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, and you as a pastor and me as a, a congregant mm-hmm. at uh, Westmount, uh, maybe coming at it from slightly different angles, but yeah. I've seen the leadership at Westmount work through this and you've been on the inside of the yeah. leadership working through this at, at uh, Hill City. So yeah, yeah let's, let's get to it. So um, I don't know where, which one you want to start well, I, at. But. The, the first question I picked up was, how can a congregant encourage their pastor and church leaders to be bold? And this is an, this is an amazing question, and this is a super biblical question, because Paul, in writing to the church in Ephesians, as a leader, as an apostle, actually asks the members of that church for prayer, for boldness. Hmm. And so uh, the first thing I want to say is, that's something we need to be praying for. Uh, don't dismiss that as kind of out of your lane or who are you or is that that's inappropriate right. or disrespectful or it's no. Like we wouldn't expect our our pastors and leaders to just have perfect boldness and courage. No. Like out of no. the box, you know. Not perfect anything. <laughs> so I just want to affirm this. I'm gonna read from Ephesians six, eighteen to twenty. Uh, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, Hmm. that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly Hmm. as I ought to speak. So Paul is saying, pray constantly, Uh, offer supplications for all people, and especially me, and specifically that I will proclaim the gospel boldly as I ought to. There is a a fitting way to proclaim the gospel, and that is with boldness. And um, boldness is something that the Spirit needs to empower and uh, bless the the preacher with. And so, I mean, you imagine Paul who says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, you know, is the power of God. And yet he has the humility and the self-awareness to recognize I am totally dependent upon the church praying for me. And I can tell you just as a leader, I mean, it's easy, I think, for leaders to take criticism, to be the kind of the point of criticism, but yeah. also the point of praise wrongly. And I remember a story about Spurgeon, you know, someone asking about the, the anecdotally, um, asking about the power behind his ministry. This guy's an amazingly uh, fruitful preacher, the Prince of Preachers. And he said, you know, essentially the power is, you, what you don't see is the hundred people in the basement every Sunday for the yeah. whole service praying for me. Mm. And all any godly person and leader knows that if they have a spirit-wrought boldness, that is because people have been praying for them. And I'm sure you can testify, I'm sure you've been praying for your leaders yeah. and I know people in your congregation have, and I know people in my congregation have been praying for me. 
And so that's the first answer I'll give is um, be praying for boldness hmm. for your pastors. Yeah. And until you're praying for their boldness, um, that needs to be the first thing that you do. Right, right. And uh, I mean, we're going to get into a little more of these questions of how to deal with uh, maybe leadership that uh, are on a different page with you, but uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll sort of start moving that direction now. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking a lot offline and on the podcast just about in general how flippant uh, the Canadian Church has been with uh, with regard to the necessity of uh, the assembly of the saints, the the necessity of membership, you know, being members one of another. Uh, daily encouraging one another. Yeah, these are all things that are kind of were kind of foreign to us. Yeah, and that we're trying to uh, realign ourselves with. Mm-hmm, right, we mm-hmm. want to get back in line with Scripture. And so, one of the things we want to guard against is people who feel like the leadership are on are on the wrong side of this, just taking off. Yeah, right. We we want to advocate for a proper ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. If you feel like your pastor. Uh, or elder or uh, whatever is uh, perhaps not seeing this clearly or mm-hmm. uh, maybe being uh, disobedient to scripture, the first step is to go talk to them. Yeah. Right. You, to pray for them and, and go talk yeah, to them. Pray for them. Uh, pray for yourself too. Yeah. Uh, as you and, and pray for yourself to do it in a, a God honoring way uh, and to go and speak to them in a, a spirit of love and yeah. respect and uh, find out, what it is they, you know, why they've taken the positions they've taken and, you know, get them to explain it biblically. Yeah. And then, you know, if you've got a counter argument, then, then you can do that. Um, yeah. We wouldn't advocate uh, people just leaving their church. And we, we've had this with people yeah. that have come to our church. Uh, their pastors don't know they've left. Mm. You know, they've just basically said, okay, these people are whatever. They're on the wrong side of this. We're out of here. Well, that's not the right approach, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? We need to, especially if your pastor in the in the in the past has been faithful, like you said, this is somebody who's been preaching the word, and preaching the gospel, and all that. So, there's, I mean, there's every situation's different, mm-hmm. but there's there's got to be a, a method to how you leave a church, how you approach your pastor mm-hmm. to get clarification, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. An approach, I would say. Um with the word, I mean, the word has to be driving our convictions, mm-hmm. not our own preferences or just, you know, a personality that we're following, that we have to make sure our convictions surrounding these things, the gathering of the church, the, the nature of the church and the nature of the state and the various responsibilities and corresponding authority, that these are all rooted in scripture. Mm-hmm. And if we have those convictions rooted in scripture, then we ought to, as Paul tells the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another and all wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I would say that it is entirely appropriate for members to approach their leaders with questions about the Bible. And no healthy, qualified leadership should find that in any way even discouraging. No, they should Certainly rejoice. Certainly <laughs> not disrespectful. If, if, if a pastor feels disrespected by a congregant wanting to submit to the word together, to open the word together, to um, obey the word together, then that is not, that is someone who's a, who's a dictator. They're domineering and they don't know their place. And a pastor's authority is rooted in the word. Mm-hmm. And that's why we, our ministry is one of prayerful and patient persuasion and not just coercion. So assuming they are godly, they're willing to listen. 
go to the word together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you, we had. Uh, it is inevitable that churches will members will have disagreements, and um, the most important thing is that we deal with these things in a God honoring way. And so, right. for us, I'll just give two. I won't give names, but I had one of the most encouraging moments of pastoral ministry was when two dear sisters who are members of our church, um, to various degrees, landing in different places. One of them was uh, landing in different place, you know, healthcare professional, different concerns. And the other one, I think she agreed with the position and principle, but was concerned that those who didn't uh, weren't being accommodated. So great, great concerns. They didn't gossip. They didn't um, leave through the back door without saying anything. They set up a meeting, per, uh, you know, separate to one another to come and talk to me. And I had them over, and both conversations were incredible. And um, I think, in in large part, we came to an agreement. But even where there was disagreement, there was respect and love and submission to Scripture. And um, it was... It's not discouraging when there's disagreements. It's discouraging when people don't handle them as Christians, which is right. to say, don't just rely on your your um, temperaments and your preferences. Make sure it's principled. And we had other people who are supposedly, you know, more godly and have had positions of influence and leadership, literally just leave without ever saying anything. And it was so ungodly and. Uh, so I would say in a healthy church, praying for your leaders for boldness, going to them with the word. And the last thing I would say is point guys to examples. So mm-hmm. um, we see in the book of Acts that part of how the church is strengthened and emboldened is they watch the faithful suffering of other Christians. When the disciples were flogged, they went away rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering for the name. Well, what was the effect of that? It goes on to say that the disciples were kept preaching with all boldness Mm -hmm. because boldness begets boldness. And so I would say um, in your own life, showing boldness and courage with the gospel, uh, commit to discipling people, commit to meeting together. Um, You know, your, your elders can't forbid you from doing what God commands. They they can't tell you not to make disciples. They have no authority to do that. And, and if they tell you that you need to just leave, um, so be bold, and hopefully that's an example. Point them to people. I mean, point them to um, other faithful shepherds who have been preaching and teaching on these things and suffering. Let them watch videos of Pastor Tim Stevens. Go to rebelnews.com and watch his arrest in front of his eight children and yeah. the graciousness with which he speaks yep. to the police officer and the reasonableness that he has and the submissiveness. A part of the, I mean, I've talked to pastors who are like, talking about James Coates, and then they're like, I mean, I don't know the guy, and I've never even seen anything, but I know he's wrong. It's like, who's wrong? Like, you don't even know anything. Yeah. Listen to his sermon on Romans 13. I'm saying, I, I didn't like the book. Yeah, it's uh, like if, if... The cover didn't look good. I haven't yeah, read it, but... If, if you listen to... <laughs> if you send James Coates' sermon on Romans 13 to your pastor, any man who loves the word will at least respect the exposition of that text and will have something to think about. Yeah. So, and there's nothing disrespectful about that. Yep. Um, that's just part of life together. And there would be nothing disrespectful, too, about reminding uh, 
your elders, your pastor of their role, right? If you're a sheep that's not getting fed, if you feel like there's a spiritual hunger that's not being served, yeah, then I'm, I mean, that's, that's kind of their job to, yeah. to facilitate that in a yeah. sense, right? Yeah. To be ministers of the word. And, uh, so nothing wrong with reminding them. Yeah. I mean, again, you don't march into their office and, and start pounding your fist on the desk, but, um, there's uh right. You said there's, there's roles and there's, there's things that the elders can't command you to do, yeah. but in the same way they have, they have a responsibility mm-hmm. that they've, they've taken that responsibility mm-hmm. on. The second question has to do with, um, things that we found encouraging or motivating as pastors um, that your congregants have done for you uh, when you feel tempted to give into the world, and this is huge. I mean, one of the one of the great errors in ministry, and a lot of leaders do this, is when they set themselves up on a pedestal above the congregation, and by that I mean they don't act and live as though they have the same needs as every member of the church, and. Uh, um, so, for example, every single pastor and elder should be in community. And, and I mean, like, you have the same needs as everyone. So, encourage one another daily uh, that you might not become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, do not neglect meeting together. Encourage, exhort, rebuke, like all of these things. I need this, and every pastor needs this. Paul famously rebuked Peter for not walking in step with the gospel. Uh, you know, the rock in the church and, and you know, and of, of the guy who preached the first sermon and thousands of people are saved. Like he went off the rails at one point mm-hmm. and a brother had to rescue him. When you feel as an elder or pastor, shepherd, overseer, that you are above the needs of normal Christians, you are in a conceited, dangerous place. And I bring that up to say, the way the church encourages their pastors is the way that Christians, all Christians encourage one another. Mm. If you have stopped as a pastor being in community and fellowship with the other brothers and sisters in this time, it's no wonder that so many of these guys are just hardened on the trajectory they're on. But when you meet as a pastor with people who are suffering, who are broken, who are discouraged, it, it robs you of some illusion where you just downplay all the dangers of this time, right? So many of these pastors who are not open, I just wonder, do you talk to your congregants anymore? Like, actually, like, like do, you, do you know every single person in your church the way you did before this? And the indifference with which they show towards the isolation, mm-hmm. I just think shepherds are not among the sheep anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, one way you can encourage your pastor is to encourage them to be in community. And, I mean, um, encourage them the same way you would encourage others. Like, that's what sustained me. This isn't, this isn't self-manufactured. This, I mean, my wife and I, since the first lockdown, since before it ended, we, our house has been jammed, you know? And we, we just decided that we were not going to stop caring for people. And that has been what's encouraged us. We've had members of the church mm. who write letters to us. We have every single week we go to a fellowship group and I ask for prayer and I ask for encouragement and I confess sin and we have the same needs we've always had. 
Um, so I think for me personally, that's what's encouraged me when I feel afraid. Um, it's not so much that the church has done anything for me. It's being around the church has reminded me um, of our needs mm. and, and people's needs. That's great. Uh, I can't speak to that because I'm not a pastor. But uh. but how have you? Pers- <laughs> but even as a member, how has the body encouraged oh, you? You you mentioned this before when you feel discouraged, and then you message me after Sunday. You're like, man, I well, need Sunday that. is just the best. I mean, yeah, you get bummed out when you're not around your family, and uh, you know I'm involved with some of the music at Westmount, so I get to stand up at the front and lead people in singing. Yeah, I get to hear everybody singing back at me. It's it's the most beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't it's it's kind of like a loaded question that the, you can't you can't neglect the means of encouragement namely the assembly of the saints on the Lord's day mm-hmm. the getting together weekly face to face to encourage exhort admonish one another singing songs together um letting the word of Christ dwell in you you can't neglect all those things and find what, another oh yeah. way to encourage people. No, that's the primary means of encouragement. And brother, we've you and I have talked during the week we're like, man, it's been a discouraging week. Thank God for Sunday. Imagine yeah. we didn't have that for a I year. Don't even, man. Dude, we barely <laughs> make it through the week sometimes. Yeah, I don't know I don't know where I'd be mentally, spiritually without that. Hmm. The next couple of questions were sort of regarding unity. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe a pastor's on the fence, worried about a church split. Yeah, they don't want to go one way because they don't want to split the the unity of the church. And then there was another question regarding, uh, you know, what was the attitude of some of the people who had left uh, and the new people who's coming? Yeah, was this division was the sifting good or bad? Yeah, so maybe we can take those together. Yeah, um, the first thing I'd say to a pastor who is in a position where look, you've got. Um, Maybe a divided elder board. Uh, you got, you've got, uh, you know, one of your elders. His wife's a nurse, and she believes everything the government says. Um, you have an, you know, maybe some of your leaders or a lot of your congregants are in the vulnerable uh, population, and they're just seeing this very differently. And you're realizing that there is um, potential if you land on this one. There's going to Almost inevitably, there will be a split. couple things. One, don't live in the illusion that not landing will preserve the unity of your church. Mm-hmm. It won't. So this is what a lot of guys think. If I do something, if I land, there will be division. But if I just stay this middle road course, there won't be. No, there will be casualties. If the, the que- They may be more long-term. They may be more long-term. But the question is, what are the biblical principles? And you need to resolve in your life, this very moment, that you will walk by principle, not by pragmatism, not by you anticipating people's response and calling it wisdom and neglecting to act on the principles of Scripture. That's wrong. Right. right. And that needs to just die. And it needs to be said, too, that the pragmatism never leads to a better outcome anyway. Never. Like I haven't uh, talked following, to one. No. Following God, obeying God is always going to lead to the best outcome. Always. Just like... Maybe not the one you want yeah, Maybe Yeah, maybe not the one you want. But the pragmatism, it's almost like if you've been in a church where there's been a church discipline case. Yeah. Uh, say there's a family and there's a church discipline case with them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've offended some people or they've wronged some people. Uh, they refuse to repent, and some people might say, "Well, 
if we if we actually discipline them like the Bible says and yeah. kick, kick them out, yeah, uh, you know, using the correct process yeah. outlined in Matthew eighteen, if we do that, other people are going to get mad. Maybe other people are going to leave. Yeah, and so you say, we're, you know, in order to preserve that, we're just going to not deal with it. Yeah, or try and deal with it in some other ham-handed way. No, what's going to happen in the end is you're going to have a lot of bitter, hurt people, and it's going to be worse than it would have been before. Yeah, and it's you do this the same in families. Men yeah. do this in families. They try to ignore the problems and hope they go away. And sure, you may avoid a certain conflict. So that's a man thing. It's not just a me thing. No, it's <laughs> okay. It's it's everyone's tempted to do that, and men. <laughs> Are tempted to do that, and and it's a sign of um, ungodliness, and it's not mm-hmm. a masculine quality. And th- th- so, get your principles right. Stop mm-hmm. thinking about what's going to happen. That is not the place you start. Yeah. Now that you've got your principles, say you're the pastor who's like, you know what, we should be meeting, but the state of my church is such that if I do something, we're going to explode. Two things: one, repent. Because it's likely that you have failed up to this point. If your church is at a place where they are going to explode, there's probably a lack of health. They haven't been taught to walk through conflict and controversy, and you're not in a good place. And you need to just own that and 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 ask God to forgive you for your sin and to say, I haven't prepared our people to, to deal with disagreement, to deal with conflict and controversy, and then ask for God's grace. And then what you do is you don't blow the church up. Pastors are to lead by prayerful, patient persuasion. So your job now isn't to necessarily next Sunday lay down the law. It is to lay down the principles from God's Mm -hmm. word so that the sheep can be... Bring people along with you. Bring them along so they are convinced from scripture. Your job is not to coerce people. And it is, it, is, yeah. it is to actually convince people in their but, conscience. Yeah. But the, the funny thing is that even beginning that process of coercion would involve a giant step. For a lot of churches that have not been open up until now, yeah. you would actually have to open. Oh, for sure. You know, so there is there is an initial step there. That an immediate would, obedience. An immediate obedience that could lead to some immediate yes. problems. And, and all I'm saying is yeah. true obedience of faith is is obedience convinced by the word. Right. But there is a tension. You're right, Chair. It's like, well, you can't use that as an excuse to say, until everyone in my church agrees that we should obey the Bible, we're not going to. Right. No, no, no. Um, but I w- it might be just one sermon. It might be you preach a sermon and just clearly outline from Scripture yeah. and call for obedience. Say, look, we're meeting next week. And you let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. Um, and you know, a pastor opening the doors isn't a uh, like you said. Even even that's not coercion. But the, in my mind, any pastor should just be able to make the service available. Well, right? make and, the assembly available. You're not saying everybody's got to no. be there. If somebody's actually scared. Yeah, that's something they need to deal with. Yeah, and that's something they they need to be taught through. Yeah, but you don't drag them in. Yeah. It's like, you know, a scared dog, like hiding under the bed. If you reach for it, it's going to bite your hand, right? You know? Well, and this this particular issue, say your pastor's church is closed, um, you can clearly, this is where you can say, I am a pastor, I am responsible to gather God's people on the Lord's Day for the preaching of the word, to administer the sacraments, to, to administer discipline, to appoint officers, to encourage one another. It's a voluntary thing. 
those who are who are desiring to stay home for a variety of reasons. Like I had, I had uh, family members isolate and stay away for a while because they were seeing other family members in long-term care. And if mm-hmm. they got COVID, it's not that they were worried about it, but they wouldn't be allowed to see their dying spouse. Yeah. And so it was a, it was an accommodation. We're not saying everyone immediately, but as a pastor, you can, you have to make it available. You have to make it available for yeah. people who want to. And I would say at that point, if people are going to leave your church because you let some people <laughs> come to church, yeah. not make people come, let some people come, then you need to not worry about, you need to pray for those people. Um, you need to confess where you failed those people if you have, but you can't let those people dictate what obedience looks like in your church. That's just wrong. That's the weaker brother. The weak. Right? It's the tyranny of the weaker brother. Yeah. And so what's happening, if you don't do something, is there's a giant rift in your church. It's just the silent, compliant, faithful people are suffering. Yeah. And the non-submissive uh, and non-unified people who are just only content if you do what they say uh, are appeased. That's yeah. not unity. No. That's not church unity. And if you're keeping your doors closed because you think of two or three influential people or big givers, uh, big donors or something like that, that's just not cool. Yeah. So, and and look, I'll just close with this too. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, 18, 19. When you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Yeah. And, and That's and hard to accept. It's hard to accept, yeah. but to various degrees in every church, controversy and conflict and division is used to reveal who are the sheep and who are the goats. And when, when the way becomes narrow and you call people to it, uh, the people who aren't about that life, you know, that narrow, that narrow road life, they peace. Mm-hmm. That is not a sign of unfaithfulness, of a lack of health, of sinful division. This is righteous division and the wheat and tares kind of thing. Yeah. And so as a pastor, you just need to be ready um, to make decisions that could result in that. Mm-hmm. God forbid, you know, but it's it's not a sign you're necessarily doing something wrong. And to follow up on that, you know, those the a couple short questions um, regarding people we've lost. Do we do we regret that? And uh, is the church stronger or weaker as a result of these changes? The sifting of the congregants. Yeah, I would say, uh, of course, we we would miss people that would stop coming uh, for various reasons. I mean, we consider them brothers and sisters, and so yeah, it feels like there's. Um, you know, it feels like there's a hole there at times, but uh, we've also been blessed with so many new people. And yeah, yeah, and I would say with with us, it's been encouraging because not many people have left. Um, the one couple that left left, you know, they were really concerned about them. It's not I I can't chalk it up to a disagreement with this. There's other issues, and I would say we we tried not to make any sharp right turns. So coming into the first lockdown, mm-hmm. I had already resolved during the first lockdown that we were never doing that again. Mm-hmm. So we were going to actually open air preach on the last Sunday. And while I was at the place we we're going to start preaching during lockdown, the government opened things up. So we didn't even have to do that 
first Sunday, though, I came to church and said, we're never locking down again. You can make your decision, but as an elder, as the elders, we've decided that we are never going to forbid people from gathering together. We are not going to neglect our duties to pray for the flock, to preach to them, to gather them, to administer the sacraments. We will do that, come hell or high water. And uh, that's our prerogative to do it. It's not the government's prerogative to tell us not to. And we're going to. So what that does, though, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not um, promoting myself. I'm trying to tell you it was it was strategic. It's so that if this ever happens, we're not reacting. Yeah, we're not saying, oh, I guess we should start thinking about what civil disobedience look like. It's no, no. Now that we have a time of peace, the teaching began right away. Right away. Yeah. And our first sermon during the lockdown was, beware of the danger of neglecting face to face. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's not like six months in and people aren't showing up and you start reminding them. It's like, no, no, we're going to do this, but it's going to be very, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And for Westmount, so, you know, are we weaker or stronger? And I'm going to tie this in with the next one. I keep tying them together because they tie it in. They flow so well together. It's like your shirt, it just flows. I'm, oh, yeah. You guys can't see the shirt I'm wearing. Great shirt. But you know that uh, saying, dress for the job you want? <laughs> Yeah. What what job would let you wear that shirt? Sitting on a beach. That's it. That's the job. Got a, you're like the coconut man in Barbados. I got my Tommy Bahama shirt on. You know? <laughs> my buddy got totally hustled by the coconut man. What's the coconut? Oh, on okay. Beach. So he was at my wedding, and he's a major hustler. It's his age, and uh, he's down at the beach, and this coconut guy like gets a coconut. And says he'll charge him 20 US for it. <laughs> and then my friend went all the way back to the hotel to get cash from his room to bring it to the guy. I'm like, man, you got hustled. 20 hard. bucks for a coconut? 20 US. Wow. That's. And the thing is, he left and came all the way back. I'm like, man, were you, anyway, sort of yeah. to, to, to engage in that levity, but your wow. shirt was just so good. It's, it's a little loud. It's a little loud. <laughs> it's a little loud. <laughs> um, I would say Westmount is stronger. Oh yeah, and uh, for for a number of reasons, and it's you know, question about the health of the church. We have seen, especially coming out of that first lockdown, there was an intense zeal uh, for Bible study. There was yeah. an intense zeal for Sunday school. Like our our adult Sunday school on Sunday mornings exploded. You it's know, amazing. And we had, you know, more than half of the church showing up for Sunday school. So great. On a weekly basis. Yeah. Doing, uh, we were doing church history. We were doing all this other awesome Praise stuff. Um, we've had, uh, well, we just had six new members added last week and three baptisms. Uh, we had a baptism early on after, uh, during the first lockdown, actually, a very encouraging story of a, you know, an 80 year old guy that just <laughs> became a Christian at 80. And, right in the middle of a lockdown said, I want to get baptized like right now. I don't care if you're closed, you know, very encouraging stuff like that. So it's amazing. There's, there's definitely uh, a greater appreciation for being together, for studying the word, yeah, for singing. Like it's unbelievable. So yeah. I'd say that the health of the congregation is good. Well, what is Tristan? What do you think when you think about the church, the health of the church? Yeah. I mean, I can speak. Uh, He's really- a member of Hill city. I really only speak personally, um, but I, my wife and I have been greatly encouraged. Um, I mean, the most obvious is just meeting face to face. And um, we know personally, 
we felt uh, measures, you know, of, of spiritual suffering in the first lockdown. As we, yeah, we especially as we were just started to come to Hill City, we wanted to get to know everyone, but we had to basically start doing that over Zoom, mm. and you, you, it's not possible to get to know people by faces no. on, a, on a couch. Um, but I mean, for me personally, I think it is the humility of the leaders, um, as was already mentioned before the confession of sin, um, just the, the vulnerableness. Mm. And th- there is no, um, th- there was no, yeah, mask on as pretending that the leaders knew what they were doing. This was obviously new, uh, for every church going through this, this time, but to, to go through that time in a, in a, in a way, in a, a humble way where you can see, um, you know, they're looking through scripture and studying God's word and, and, you know, asking for God's help, and that's that to me spoke uh, more than anything else I've I've experienced in my my church going life, and mm-hmm. I'm thankful to God for you know faithful leaders and mm-hmm. and and we're so thankful for faithful members. I mean, to wrap yeah. this up, like the the health of our church, it, we have never been more healthy. To encourage this listener um, and encourage pastors, and, yeah. and I say that with zero hyperbole. And I'm not trying to sell this. Like we are the love in our church. So I'm I'm taking um, a couple months, July and August, to focus on research and writing. And we're having an elder meeting, and I'm thinking about you know who are the people that I'll have to get the elders more involved with, who are the people falling through the cracks. You know, just a shepherd. Like I want to make sure people are cared for. Honestly, it's like virtually everyone is being cared for by other members of the church. Yeah. The member-to-member care in our congregation is is the best it's ever been. And this is through lockdown and, th- and through trial and difficulty. And the initiative of members um, to, to reach out to people who are on the fringes and the initiative of members to care for those who are suffering and to grieve with those who grieve. We've had people pass away and children pass away and um, just the... The care and the unity of the church is is absolutely incredible, and uh, our elders are totally unified. There's no daylight between us. Um, the our members are totally unified, and it's not because we all come from the same place. Yeah, it's that God's done amazing work through the Word, and I just think He's honored. It's like trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy yeah. in Jesus. It's like that's it. And there's something so encouraging when life is that simple. It's just great. Yeah, it truly is. It's like what'll happen, and what if we split, and what if we mm. well trust and obey? There's no other way, yeah. you know. And uh, we were talking about pragmatism earlier, and how when you when you try and get the pragmatic outcome using pragmatism, you don't get it. You don't. But when you just obey, when you live out faithfully, you get the thing you you were trying to get using the wrong method. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like trying to get God's blessings without obeying God is yeah. just not possible. Yeah. And um, one other thing that's been really encouraging for us is we've now got, uh, compared to two years ago, we've got maybe three or four times more young people at the church. Sweet. From families that have joined. Uh, I mean, it is exploded. Mm. And we've got, you know, half a dozen people in the teenage years uh, and coming up to that young men who are uh, studying their scriptures like crazy. And we had uh, recently a seminarian join, you know, uh, Jerry Joy, who you've mm-hmm. met. He's the, Their family have joined us in the last couple of years, and he's been putting on seminary-level courses 
that these young men have been attending. We're talking like getting together at 6.30 on Tuesday mornings. Nice. Uh, so that we can get to work afterwards. That's awesome. And, there, and you know, we're studying hermeneutics. We're studying bibliology, mm. pro, you know, theology proper, all this mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy watching these kids just like mop this stuff up. Mm. And it's like, they're already smarter than me because yeah. they didn't waste their youth. And, you know, give them another five years and their heads are going to be so full of wonderful things. Mm. I mean, it's so encouraging to see. That's amazing. Uh, the, the next le- the next generation of leadership coming up, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, we're running a little short on time here, but maybe, is there any other one you particularly wanted to get to? Maybe the one on um, the pastor's messages are solid and biblical, but the church doesn't seem to live it out. Yeah, I mean, this is... This is a constant danger, and there's I know churches like this. It's it's just to be frank, hypocrisy. And um, James warns us about this. You know when we when we got James over open right here. (laughs) Yeah, well, basically, when you don't obey, you're like someone who looks in the mirror and then immediately forgets his reflection. Yeah, faith without works, right? Yeah, faith without works is dead. The first thing that came to mind is like. yeah, you say you have faith. You're saying all the right things, but if you're not doing it, if yeah. you're not if you're not doing the word, right? It's not enough to 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 read the word or look at the word. You have to live the word. Yeah, right? what do you believe? What do you do? And so I would warn, I would warn brothers and sisters, and I would warn a church that is content with their doctrine, who is content with the things they say, and separates that from what they do. And that's that's dangerous. Yeah, that's not faith. That's not obedience. Yeah, that's the you know that's where sin takes a hold and oh yeah the deceitfulness of yeah. it just worms its way in. Yeah. So I mean, shout out before you do your your reading. Just uh, great questions. Super encouraged to hear this listener thinking through these things. Love to hear back from you after yeah. you hear this episode. You know, let us know. Um, you know, we'd love to give you any more specific advice, but yeah. hopefully this is helpful for you in dealing with the elders at your church. Mm-hmm. Of course, we will pray for you and pray for that situation. And yes. Pray that you be able to do whatever you need to do in a God-honoring way. Yeah, amen. Yeah. So today's good portion. I got a bit of Bonhoeffer. I'm going to read from The Cost of Discipleship. Bring in the heat. Bring in the heat. Just a couple short paragraphs here. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his Son. 
ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace, because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, mm. but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Amen. That's a great book. So uh, I was just thinking, got to reread that. I haven't yeah. read that all the way through since I was a young a young fella, young whippersnapper. Spring chicken. A spring chicken, yeah. I don't sound like it, but I'm like 82. <laughs> When we do video, people are gonna be shocked. Got <laughs> my get my old guy laugh on. <laughs> All right, well, episode twenty Q and A again. Hey, if you got questions uh, after every episode, or just something pops into your head, do you want to you know spout off about? Hey, send it to my email, Jeremy mm-hmm. at the Dominion Podcast dot com. We'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear uh, if you've been encouraged or if you got any suggestions for how we can, uh, you know, bring the Dominion of Christ to other areas of uh, life. Any other maybe uh, specific topics you want to hear us talk about. But, uh, for now, we'll say goodbye and we'll see you next week. <laughs>